This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I got John Thies, the co-founder and CEO of Email on Asset. Hey, John, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, likewise. Email on Asset. Now, I could guess what that means, but I'm I'm guessing it would be better for me to have you explain uh, the name, where it came from, and some of the great things that, uh, that you do with it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. We get that question a lot. Um, it's very unique, right? So whenever we go to the bank or somewhere, we have to take money there. Wait a minute, is this legitimate? Um, so no, it, it's kind of a, a pull on words. And, you know, my sister and I, my sister's a co-founder. Um, we turned 10, 10 years old this year. And back in the day when we were starting it, basically what we do is we show our core product is we show people how their email looks on every email client before they send it out because every email client will split things differently. So whether it's Gmail, Yahoo, all that type of stuff. Um, and there's a finality to it. Once you send an email, you can't get it back. And so that's really where kind of our core product sits is we kind of give marketers um, a way for them to see how their emails looks, so they can make any changes or adjustments before they send it out. And kind of what you think about what that is, kind of if you think about your back in your science days in chemistry where you had the acid test where you put something through filters and you kind of see the end result. That's very similar to what we're doing is similar to the acid test. We're sending an email to an email client. It will display what it, what it likes and what it doesn't. And so you kind of get that end result filters as you put it through filters. So we kind of took that to, um, into the count of our name and we were initially thinking, um, email, um, in acid, and then my sister suggested, hey, I got a great idea. What do I email on acid? And I thought it was perfect because there's kind of a double pun there. Um, you know, from sometimes your emails do look crazy when you send them out um, if you don't test them or whatever. And so it kind of fits our personality. So that's really where it came from. Well, it's a great way to go about it because a lot of times people think that their email when they're typing it is going to look the same way with what if they've got graphics or images or fonts or anything like that and you know a lot of things that i do and i've got an email list and whatnot and i'm subscribed on it as well in different you know formats gmail yahoo hotmail and you know another email account and and i, I purposely to see okay what does this look like you know when i open this up in an outlook client or what does it look like on yahoo you know is it blocking images what's the images look like you know what you know how does it look from a uh, a visual appealing aspect of it because if you don't know that uh, you could be sending out some stuff that doesn't look good and people are just discarding it or they're you know they may not even take that extra step to unsubscribe they're just not going to look at it so you know the whole reason uh, to send out a message is to get some type of a response or provide information. And if, if you're missing the boat on, on the appearance thing alone, uh, you're not, you're not hitting your targets the way that you'd want to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And if you think about it too, from a, a branding perspective, you know, if you say like how like some of these brands, let's say Coca-Cola have really strict branding guidelines and what they do and, and how they're represented and how people interpret, you know, the red and the white and there's certain things, other things that they do. If they send out an email that doesn't, that the red is 
comes across as a different color, that could have you know implications on their on their brand and how people are interpreting them. Because people, as you know, from a marketing perspective and as consumers, we get used to a brand, we get that consistency, and we learn to expect that from our brand. If it's not there, you're absolutely right; they'll delete it. They'll even unsubscribe, uh, you know, potentially, and that, that could cause a lot of damage given the ROI and the investment that that email can provide for an organization. A lot of people don't think that the branding and the consistency is a big deal, but it's crucial. You know, I think of, you use Coca-Cola as an example, you know, the red and the white that they use, you know, anybody could say, okay, it's red and white, but if they changed that tone of red a little bit, believe me, we would notice it. Uh, it would catch our eye and something would, you know, we're like, wait a minute, what is this? You know, is it, is it a knockoff? You know, is it the generic brand of Coca-Cola? What, you know, what's going on? Or even going back to the, you know, the mid eighties when, you know, they did that new Coke experiment, you know, that was, you know, that went over well. Uh, but <laughs> it, at the end of the day, it's, it's when people know it and expect something, it's, it, and it's not delivered consistently. It, it throws things off and it can really impact the reach of your your brand and your business because as we know today getting the attention of consumers um, is a lot more challenging than it used to be and even with the advent of social media where you can access so many more people their attention span is getting shorter and shorter so you need to make sure that you have something that catches their eye immediately Yep, and I couldn't disagree more. And actually, <clears throat> there's a excuse me, there's a topic that we've been talking about. It's kind of like you know marketers in the, exactly what you say. Like there's more and more content being made. There's more and more companies. There's more and more advertising. <clears throat> and so, how do you keep that uh, brand image? Yeah, and and we talk about <clears throat> um, these cognitive shortcuts, these cognitive biases that people, that humans, make because there's so many distractions around that we make these dis decisions that we don't even realize we're making. And when you talk about the consistency of Coke, if you go to the grocery store and it's not red, you're looking for the red and white. That's all you're keen off of. You know, and they change it. It's a different color. You're not, they might miss out on people. So the same thing goes with, you know, email and all this other type of stuff, which I think is really interesting when you start thinking about kind of the, the mental biases and all these stuff type of stuff that we have and these shortcuts that we take. And then how important it is from even from anything from advertising to web pages, email, any type of marketing channel or any type of interaction, that consistency is absolutely key. Now with clients that you work with uh, and they say, okay, we, we want to make sure that our emails have a, a, a greater likelihood of being seen and, and, and actually have people act on them. You know, what are some of the common things you see people doing uh, that are limiting uh, their success rates when it gets to uh, emails being you know, positively received and, and looked at and, and acted upon? Um, well, I think there's a couple of things, right? So when you talk about the design, <clears throat> the design of an email, I think it's a lot of people tend to try to cram too much into it. So they send out an email like, man, we have to get all this information in there. And it's really kind of hard to consume. And just like we just talked about, like our attention spans are, are shortening. And I see a lot of people trying to put too much into it versus and then not using enough white space around the elements, like around the pair of buttons, around call to actions to really let them breathe and kind of 
draw that focus. I think that that's a big one. I think another really big one that, that I'm really kind of trying to educate the, the industry or the community about is from an accessibility standpoint is really thinking about those with some type of visual impairment or needing some type of assistive device to read the email. Cause it's a massive amount of the population. Like um, I think it's around 330 million people worldwide have some type of visual impairment. And to put that in perspective is 325 million people in the United States. So if you're not thinking about it, you're, you could be potentially missing out on a big population set. What I'm talking about is like contrast ratio. Like what's the, the difference between the color difference between the, the foreground color of the text and then the background color. And if they're too close, those with some type of color blindness or visual impairment might not be able to pick that up. And so I think that's, that's a big thing too. So I think really those are really the two big things that people try to send too much in the email, not leveraging the white space. And I'm not this, not being mindful of kind of the accessibility side. And, and when they talk about accessibility too, it's not necessarily, always a permanent it could be temporary i remember when i was a kid my dad was playing softball he slid into third base and he broke both of his thumbs so if that happened to him today how would he interact with the world around him without your thumbs like how would you use a, a mobile device like how would you interact with your computer it may be a lot more difficult and there might be times where he might need to use some type of accessibility tool to engage with it he might be your highest engaged subscriber and will he stay engaged during that process, like during his healing process? Accessibility is a huge, huge thing. And I know in, in Canada where I'm based, you know, they're really pushing for that on, on websites and, and other things. And uh, I know we've, and I know I have, you know, received, you know, emails that, you know, there wasn't much white space and you would scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and you'd, you'd forget you know, and because the, they bring you on a journey, you know, they're trying to, you know, update you on something and it just went on and on and on and on and on. And you're going, okay. And you just lose interest because like, I don't have time to decipher this. Even if it's content that I, you know, I, I drop everything and I consume the entire email when I get it, which is very rare to be, you know, quite honest to those that email me. You know, I, I quickly skim it. I, I, I think um, a teacher that I had in 11th grade that did like a 30 minute session on speed reading. So I picked up a couple things so I can, I can skim things and, and not miss too much. So that's oftentimes what I do when it comes to this, but there are some that you, you can literally look on your browser if you're looking at through a you know, web browser and you see the scroll button and it's a sliver and you're like, Oh boy, this one's going <laughs> to, this one's going to take, this one's going to take a couple months to get through. It's like, I'll, I think I'll, I'll take this in doses, you know, kind of like reading a huge you know novel or something. It's like, I'm going to allocate about an hour to this and then I'll come back to it and then I'll, you know, read it again. Uh, so it's, yeah, concise is, is where it's at. And if that means you need to send six emails on that subject instead of one, um, you know what, you know, build it up. It's, you know, like a movie or a television show, you know, build up the anticipation of what you're going to talk about next. And as long as you're engaging with your audience that way, it makes a big difference. And I love the analogy of the broken thumbs because again, if if your content isn't consumable in a variety of different ways, uh, it's definitely going to limit your impact, uh, especially for those that could be, you know, uh, just a rabid fan, but all of a sudden they're 
unable to consume it for a bit because the only format you give it to them is in a way that they can't consume currently. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's with digital or with any type of thing, you don't know the the perception that people are going to, how they're going to interpret what you're sending and what, what you're doing. That, that can be a landing pages, like you said, landing pages, websites, um, even digital print. You can even go that far not knowing like, okay, how is someone going to interpret this with a, a deficiency of some sort right? or a disablement? And another thing that I want to touch base that you mentioned too is like the journey. And I think one uh, cool thing that I've been starting to see brands do is taking their subscribers on a journey. So not putting it all at one, but building up to it and making them be excited about the next email. Say, hey, does this continue that journey that they started me on? And you give them little tidbits, little, little peaks, little things. Like you keep them engaged that way for a longer period of time versus one email and that that builds a ton of loyalty and a ton of like followers on, on what message you're trying to say if it's a story or whatever uh really just engaging them and showing sending them bite-sized pieces um and then giving them those little carrots that keep coming along i think is is what we're starting to see now and how brands are starting to emerge from this you know bombardment of content on the on the internet and all apps and all that type of stuff it's one of the things that I've done over time too is you know, just being consistent with what I talk about so there isn't a hard left or a hard right. Now that doesn't mean that I don't post something somewhere that might be outside of what I normally talk about, but I keep it to a minimum and it's usually done whether it's you know a timely uh, topic or just a comment on, on something. Uh, or I was at San Diego Comic-Con recently. So I, I, there's a bunch of pictures that I haven't posted yet on, on some social media channels. I might, I might not. It's, you know, <laughs> my, my, my brand, it really isn't along those lines, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm thrilled that I was able to get to go. And so it, it was a situation where you know, I thought, well, I could post all this stuff. But then I, you know, I look at you know, the other images, like on Instagram, for example, I'm you know, scrolling through, I'm going, okay, there might be a reference to Batman here and there, but uh, everything else is pretty much on, on leadership, self-care, burnout, boundaries, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay. And all of a sudden here's the Batmobile. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it shows that I'm human and I'm not a one trick pony, but again, it's, you know, what are you using your platform for? And I think oftentimes, and I see this all the time with business uh, people I'll, I'll follow is you know they've they've got their content that they share but then they share a lot more other stuff that is kind of not in alignment with what what they do and it it confuses people and you know a good colleague of mine likes to say you know confusion repels and clarity attracts and when you're branding i think that's a crucial crucial reminder for people is you know be clear on what your your product or service and your marketing and branding is about and be consistent with it because over time you build it up, then everyone's going to know, okay, this is, this is an email from John's group. Okay. Here's, here's what's going on with this. And they, they're familiar with it and you don't have to um, keep throwing curveballs at them all the time, changing everything up because then they'll constantly be going, okay, what format is it going to be today? Yep. I, I couldn't disagree more. Like, Sorry, I couldn't agree more. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying there. 
about consistency and all that type of stuff. And like how, now I will say though, on a, on a personal perspective, people do like to, to build that personal connection with those, the companies or brands or whatever they're following. Um, so I think throwing in a little bit of that, I think it's probably good, but not overwhelming. But like, you know, cause then it's like, cause then you're right. Then it's like showing mixed messages, but I think little tidbits here and there talking about your interests and like kind of, your personal, I think people really start to, especially the millennials, the younger generation, um, really like to have that sense of connection with that brand or the company or whoever it is that they're following on that stuff. Yeah. I, and that's what I do. You know, when I think of something that I could post, it's like, okay, is this, you know, too far out as far as what I talk about, but it, again, it, it humanizes things. And, and when you're using social media, as a mechanism to generate business or acquire clients or, or whatever it happens to be when they see uh, the non-business side of you and some interest, like you had said, it helps with the no like, and trust factor. Cause I go, okay, well, you know, I can relate to, to Michael or to John because you know, they posted something about going to this particular you know, destination. And that's a destination that I'd like to go. Oh, wow. And they're, they're sharing some tips on, you know, where to stay and, and here's some images. It's like, Oh yeah, I want to go there. So it's, it, again, it, it, it humanizes the, the experience. And I think that goes a long way and, and um, really, again, strengthening your brand, you know, cause you know, we think Coca-Cola and we're like, okay, well, you know, who, you know, who do we know that is, you know, working at Coca-Cola now disclaimer, I know the former CIO of Coca-Cola. So I, I can't, I can't use that as a good example. It's like, hi Jack, in case you're listening, I uh, hope everything's well, Jack. Uh, but it, but yeah, in other situations, you're like, well, I don't know, but you know, someone uh, you know, gets some materials from email on asset. I'm like, okay. You know, listen to John. I, he's been on you know, some things and they're doing some great stuff uh, in this, uh, in this arena. So again, it just, it just makes it a better experience when you're interacting with people. And um, I, I think the millennials have it right um, to, to want and expect something besides just the strong marketing push. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where do you see email going? I know this is a loaded question, but <laughs> with, with social media, cause if you think about it, you know, social media as a whole, you know, has been around for a bit, you know, but I think, you know, rapid usage of it has, you know, been less than a decade, but, or maybe around a decade. Cause I remember my Facebook account being, you know, a little bit older than that. Uh, but, you know, as far as massive usage on it, you know, within the last 10 years, it's really spiked. So, but, you know, you go back 20 years, maybe not so much. So I'd be curious to see where you think email is going. Do you see any trends on where um, it could be shifting from how we're using it uh, today to, you know, what it'll be used like in the next, you know, couple of decades? Great question. So email is super, like, I mean, it's, Super robust. I think it's turned 40 not too long ago. Um, and I don't see email going away. Um, and here's why. Like, there's been a lot of talk about like, hey, email's dying, social's taking it out. But if you think about it, you know, these social media platforms, you know, something I ask people is when they say, I was like, hey, did you know that like who the largest sender of email is on a daily basis? And, you know, people will guess, hey, it's these bigger brands, but it's actually Facebook. 
Facebook sends more email on a daily basis than anyone else in the world. And the reason being is you'll get these emails saying, hey, this person posted on your wall. So what it's doing is they're using email to drive people back to their social platforms. And you can even talk about Slack too in, in the workplace. Like, yeah, Slack has its place. Like Slack is amazing, we use it here. But then we also use email like uh, quite extensively, obviously. Um, but so do a lot of other companies because there's a need for it. And I don't see email going away anytime soon. Um, I think it's actually getting more powerful and it's actually getting better. Now will the back end technology change? No, like how we send email, no. But the way that we interact with it, the way that marketers personalize, you talk about personalization, you talk about you know, dynamic content, you talk about all these things about targeting the message to the individual subscriber. I think that will change. I think it will, will get away from, you'll still have these broad campaigns, but you'll start to see companies leverage more of that targeted email specifically to you, Michael, or me, like saying, okay, you're in Denver or you're in Canada, Here, it's cold out, you need a jacket, right? Versus, hey, John, it's December, do you need a pair of shorts because you're going to the beach soon, right? So you get more of that versus that broad type of stuff. Um, and where do I think it's going the challenge? I think the biggest challenge that I think marketers will have is when you talk about, you know, Europe and Canada, you have that can spam laws. GDPR just came out where it's on the European Union about how we protect our subscribers' personal information. I think in California is actually going to get, I think at the end of this year, they're going to be putting into law their kind of version of GDPR. So I think the challenges with the email for marketers will be like, hey, how do we maintain the security of our PII and how do we access it and what do we use to leverage it and who do we share it with? Now, obviously, if we're doing things right, they shouldn't be doing that anyway. Um, but how, when you talk about acquisition strategies, how do we acquire new subscribers? You know, now you have to have check boxes to, opt, to specifically opt in versus having a default checked. So there's all these things that we have to think about doing from a legal perspective and a, and a compliance perspective than we ever had before. And I think it's actually a good thing because I think it's getting back to, hey, this is we need to protect the data of our customers or subscribers, not share it, but then also make sure that we're doing it organically and not going out and buying information. Yeah, and that's always been a pet peeve of mine and you see it all the time where, um, it, it, it boils down to, you see these things where you can buy lists and you can buy followers and like, I, that's not who I want because they're not going to be people that are going to naturally organically consume my content anyway. Okay, great. So I've got X number of followers on a social media platform or this many subscribers to my email list. Great, but how many of them are actually likely to interact with me or get benefit from the content that I create? And I'd much rather have a hundred subscribers that you know really like my content and will will do something with it to help their lives improve versus six thousand where five thousand nine hundred and ninety-five of them you know, have no interest. They, you know, somehow they got paid to provide their email list for something and, you know, they got a coupon or something for something. I don't know, but it, it boils down to, I love the organic thing. And I, while yes, some of these uh, email measures can be a little bit uh, of a pain to navigate around, but most 
most email systems and providers, once you know the rules, you, you just implement them and, and then you're good to go. Yeah. And you mentioned a really good thing there about the engagement side of it. And a lot of people don't know when you think about from email, there like there is so much that goes on to it. It's not just like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, put these pictures together and send it out and everything would be great. There's so much complexity with email that a lot of people don't really realize. And when you think about from an engagement perspective and you think about how much spam email is being sent every single day. And that's why, you know, Gmail and Yahoo and AOL and, you know, all these, you know, Microsoft Outlook, all these companies have these spam filters to try to capture that. And what these bigger companies are starting to do, specifically Microsoft and Google, is they're actually tracking. So if you have an email list of, you know, 5,000 people and you send it out, but no one's engaging it, no one's opening it, they'll start putting your emails into the spam folder because they're saying, hey, you're sending out people that are not engaged. And if you think about going and buying a list, just like what you said, that's actually going to hurt the getting the message in front of the people who are engaged versus those that are not. And so I completely agree with you on that one. Like I'd rather have a smaller list of highly engaged subscribers because one, I know that they're engaged with their opening it. I know that those people will get it in their inbox. And two or three actually is that I'm not paying for them to be on my list. And when you think about like the MailChimps, like these mail service providers, is they charge you based on how many people, subscribers you have on your list. So if you're went out and bought these people, you're paying for people that are not engaged. You're basically sending it to an inbox where no one's going to look at it. And then those people who are engaged, they might never see it because it could be going into spam. And I just think that stuff is so interesting when you think about it. And it's like kind of the opposite mindset where a lot of people are like, no, I want a huge list. I want a massive list. So I can just get it out there in the advertising, but it actually hurts in the long run. It hurts you because those people that might be highly engaged might never get the message. Yeah. And that's, that's a lesson I think for everybody to hear and, and listen to because uh, it will uh, definitely impact. Well, obviously you're paying more because you're paying for all those subscribers, but it's also your return on investment just dwindles tremendously. If if your list is people that won't see your email. And again, with the technology of, of Microsoft and Google and, and other entities, you know, looking at things going, Hmm, yeah, your email looks like spam. And all of a sudden your messages start going to spam. And that can be very problematic. If you're trying to run a business, if, if all your messages are going to spam, not everybody checks their spam folder uh, very often. Uh, some of us do, uh, but most of us, you know, we may not even look at it unless it's right blatantly in our face saying, okay, you've got six spam messages and, or if you've got 600, you're definitely not going to go through it because you're like, you're just going to click the little trash can and away it goes. And then your message never gets seen. And it's, so you have to be really careful and, and abide by the rules and do everything you can to make sure that uh, your message has an opportunity to be seen. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Loved our conversation today, John. Where can people find out more about you and the awesome stuff you're doing? Absolutely. Um, you guys can visit uh, emailandacid.com. Um, we have a blog. We have an email list, obviously. We'd love to have um, anyone who's interested in learning more about email. Uh, we, our email campaigns, our email list, we send out a ton of tips and tricks, kind of uh, nitty-gritty design stuff, and all the way up to kind of have higher-level best practices. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So John, thank you so much for the awesome work you guys are doing over there. I really appreciate our conversation today. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I enjoyed it.
Thank you. Same to Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.